That's Leviticus 19, starting at verse 9, and that can be found on page 106 of your church Bibles. When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You must not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the foreign resident. I am Yahweh, your God. You must not steal, you must not act deceptively or lie to one another. You must not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am Yahweh. You must not oppress your neighbour or rob him. The wages due a hired hand must not remain with you until morning. You must not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But you are to fear your God. I am Yahweh. You must not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbour fairly. You must not go about spreading slander among your people. You must not jeopardise your neighbour's life. I am Yahweh. You must not harbour hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbour directly and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am Yahweh. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given assurance to us from his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Saviour. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love of God, the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. For we are as he is in the world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother, he has, not, he has, seen, he has seen cannot love the God he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother. Thanks be to God. Uh, is it just me or are we in crazy times at the moment? The world is pulling itself apart, isn't it? It's not just me. It's crazy. Uh, but we all know the answer to the problems, don't we? Uh, we need some more guns, more tanks, more bombs. No, not at all. Um, 
We know the answer. It's in this passage. It's love, right? The answer is love. Any band from the 60s could tell you that. And yet, when John tells us the answer, he points the finger at us and says, dear friends, let us love one another. We can't help but feel a little bit like that's difficult. We know it's the answer. We'd be happy to stand on the rooftops and shout out, love's the answer. Come on, people, we need a love. But when the finger gets pointed at us, love's just difficult. We know we ought to love, love like Jesus loved us. We know we ought to do it. But we find it difficult sometimes, don't we? Maybe it's just me. But I find when loving someone is going to be costly, it's going to cost my time, my effort, maybe money, maybe my status. If it's going to be costly, I can sometimes just forget it. Sometimes I can be small-hearted and put limits on my love. Here's the thing, though. I want to love. I don't know about you. I want to love. I really want to be big-hearted and just be out there to serve people and do good for them. I want to. The idea actually thrills me. So why can't I do it? Why can't I be, you know, just forget myself and be out there for other people? Forget my own life, my own little world, and just serve people. Why not? I think at least part of the answer is fear. Pathetic as it may sound, we we just get scared. If I open myself up for other people, who's got my back? If I give of myself, who's going to give to me? If I lay myself down, who's going to have me? If I seek the success of my colleagues at work, who's seeking my success? If I lose out, is that it? Do I lose? Love is kind of scary, isn't it? See, we like the idea of being big-hearted, loving people. But fear kind of turns us in on ourselves. So Martin Luther spoke about homo incovatus in which man turned in on himself. That was his definition of sin. Man curved in on himself. What I want to ask tonight is, how can the curved in man turn outwards? How can we have big hearts that look outwards and love people? And John has an answer for us. It's there in verse 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. If we are going to do any loving, it's going to happen because he first loved us. And so tonight we're going to spend most of our time looking at how he has loved us. And then we'll talk about our love a bit after that. Well, here's a question for you. How would you finish this sentence? God is... God is what? Because whatever word you put here affects everything. It affects all of life. 
John uh, gives us, of course, the most wonderful answer to the question in verse 7 and then again in verse 16. God is love. That's the gospel right there, the great news. I had a lecturer at university. I did this kind of a sort of philosophy type subject, and he hated Christians. He really had it in for Christians. And he read that verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, and he came to class and said, I've just read this verse. It's ridiculous. What does it mean? It's not even proper English. And it isn't, is it? Lucky it was written in Greek. But anyway. But you see, John has no other way of getting at this reality than saying God is love, because he is love in his very essence. I'll try and get at this, this idea from a slightly different angle. My, please forgive me if I've done this before, but what was there at the beginning? What, what was there at the very beginning? Nothing? Everything came from nothing. If that's the world, if that's reality, then how do you live in tune with that reality? Your life is kind of about bringing us something out of a nothing. It's about kind of being a self-creator, kind of imposing yourself and, and making something out of life, which is nothing. Or say at the beginning, at the beginning was chaos. All the gods jostling and battling for supremacy. How do you live in tune with that reality? Well, you, you try to get supremacy amidst the chaos. Life is about kind of selfishness and struggle to get on top. But be careful because it could all turn back to chaos at any moment. Well, how about this answer? In the beginning was God. Now, what I mean by God at this point is a single, alone God a monad or just a one God. That's what a lot of people think. At the beginning was this one guy. He'd been hanging out for all of eternity by himself. It's a bit lonely, perhaps. Only had his own thoughts to keep himself kind of company. Is that right? Let's think about that a little bit further. If that's God, if that's who was or what was at the beginning, he didn't have any communication Anyone to share with? Any kind of fellowship, any relationship or love? Those things are not of his essence. What's of his essence is power, supremacy. Those things are essential to this version of God. Okay, if that is reality, if that's what was at the beginning, how do you live in tune with that reality? You submit to this powerful God. That, that's it, really. That's the big thing. He's the supreme, you're not. So the big thing is submission. Or in old Arabic terms, Islam. That's what the word is. Can you see off the back of this how good John's answer is? In the beginning was love. Right at the beginning of John's letter, he told us about uh, who it was who was there in the beginning. It was the Son, Jesus. But he wasn't there alone. He was in fellowship with someone else who was also called God, the Father. 
And then he tells us about the Holy Spirit, who is also God. So, so what was there at the beginning? There was a father and a son united in love through the Holy Spirit. Our God, in his very essence, is love. Right from the beginning. He was always kind of outward looking to others because there was, there was community right at the beginning. So, therefore, why did God make you? Why did God make the universe? Something in himself that he needed? Like he needed some more glory? No. Love. You are the overflow of his love. Okay, if that's right, how do you live in tune with this reality? Remain in his love, as John puts it. Receive God's unconditional love and show it. That's life. Yes, of course, we submit to God as slaves, but that's not fundamental. It's about receiving his love and passing it on. So friends, I want to ask, is this your God? God is what? I hope you can say God is love. This God whose love, love is his very essence. He's like a fountain overflowing in goodness towards us. Do you know that love? That love for you? Or do you have a sneaking suspicion that God isn't really love? I've spoken to a few people just this week gone past who have that sneaking suspicion or, in fact, full-blown doubt. And the reason why for them is, um, well, I put it like this. If God loves me, why hasn't he given me the things that I long for? He knows I need them. I want them. He knows I want them. Why hasn't he given them to me? Why not? Well, because God wants you. You might want the things God gives you. You might love the world, but God loves you. And he wants to include you in his eternal community of love. He doesn't just want to give you some stuff. If you want to see God is love in action... Don't look at the stuff you have. Otherwise, we'd have to conclude that the Christians in Iraq and Syria, well, God must hate them, right? Don't look at the things God gives you. Rather, take the advice of John. Look at that event where God grabbed you and made it possible for you to come to him. Look with me at verse 9. This is where John tells us to look. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God sent his one and only son into the world. Do you remember the world? How John uses that idea, the world? The world's that place where people don't love God. Even though they were meant to kind of rejoice in his love for them. The world was meant to be a place full of people with big hearts, loving each other. But instead it's a place full of people with small hearts, selfishly 
turned in on themselves. What does a loving God do when he sees his world in that state? Well, first, as you can imagine, he gets angry. This is the world I made to revel in love, (laughs) you know, to enjoy the overflow of my love. Look at them. They're ignoring me and hating each other. God starts by getting angry. But the next thing that a loving God does is quite staggering. He still wanted his world. And so he sent his one and only son into that world. His one and only son. You know, I I have sons. I love these guys. There's nothing compared to how God loved his son. He is the treasure of heaven. God didn't just chuck us a spare angel or something. He sent his one and only son into the world. And not just to kind of hang out, but to hang on a cross. As verse 10 said, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God was angry at our sin. It was a, it was a tragic destruction of his great purposes for the world. He purposed love and we turned it against him. He was angry at sin, the way we lived. And he, there was a punishment that was kind of going to follow that. The punishment of death. But joy of all joys, God is love. And so he sent his own son to take that sin upon himself. To take away the punishment that we deserve, the, the, the anger that was due us, to take the sin and the anger upon himself and, and take it away so that what is left between me and God is love. I get to be included in his eternal community of love right now and forever. This week, um, I was talking with a friend. He was telling me about a businessman, um, and he said, um, you know, he's worth about $100 million, about this, this businessman. You know, way to, way to make you feel small, hey? <laughs> I was going, like, gee, I'm worth about 50 bucks, I think. And, uh, but friends, God emptied the treasury of heaven for us to reconcile us to himself, to get rid of sin, to get rid of anger, and reconcile us to himself, that we might know his love, his eternal community of love. Such outwardness, hey? Such love. No greater love has ever been seen. There was no cost too great for him, because the greatest cost has already been given for you. Against that, $100 million is less than nothing. And he paid it for you. Doesn't that just turn you inside out a little bit? Just begin to, you know, deal with that fear and help you forget yourself just a little bit, reflecting on his love for us. I mean, he's got us, right? He's got us in his hands, in his heart. 
Do you know that love? I hope you do. I want to give you the invitation this evening to grab hold of that love. You know, if you don't know that love yet, you don't know sins forgiven and the love of God for you yourself, I want you to take it up tonight. I'd love for you to come down the front and pray with me after church and just be able to say, God, I'm sorry for the way that I've lived, for the way that I've not loved you and not loved the people around me. Thank you for your love. Thank you for forgiveness. I want it. I want you to come and do that with me after church. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. If God loved us in this way, has he? Yes. We must love one another. So we're going to turn to our second point now about our love. Uh, Our love for each other is is a natural thing. um, And it's an assuring thing as well. For us, as God's children, love is natural. It's our DNA. We're, we're, we're chips off the old block. Our God is love, so are we. And we're to love just as he loved, which is costly love, which brings people together, brings reconciliation. So, for example, at the moment, we're just tossing around a few ideas at, at, at Saturday Night Church about how we can make church a little bit better, suit us a bit better, which, by the way, is not a big deal. <laughs> it's a great opportunity for us to, just to make some good little changes. But when we do, church is not going to become some kind of breeze. You know, there's still going to be difficult things and difficult people. But as Christians, well, that's fine. Because what we do as Christians is we pay the cost to bring people together. So we're going to kind of pay the cost of the difficulties so that we can be united in Jesus, love each other. That's natural for us. Now, when as Christians we see a brother or sister in need, we do what we can to help them. That's, that's natural. That's love. When we have an issue, a run-in, whatever it might be, with a brother or sister here, we don't avoid them, hold a grudge. No, we, we, we pay the cost called an awkward conversation a humble apology. We pay the cost so that we can be united together, don't we? That's what Jesus did. That's that's his kind of love. That's our kind of love. Love is natural for us. So dear friends, let us love one another. It's natural and it's also assuring. See, how can you be sure you know God? Well, summarizing verses 13 to 18, it's sort of like this. If the gospel, the good news about Jesus, prompts you to love each other, you're remaining in God and him, him in you. If you're, if you're trusting in the love of God as you see it in, in Jesus, and that's prompting you to kind of love each other, that's God remaining in you and you in him. So is that you? You can have great assurance. God's love is being perfected in you. His love is coming to you and then through you. There's this crazy line in verse 17. You are actually starting to become like God. 
Read with me verse 17. In this, in this way that we, we receive his love and then show his love, in this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. For we are as he is in the world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Well, I don't want to muck around with you because John doesn't muck around with us. See, there's an opposite. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God. Verse 20, the one who does not love the brother he has seen cannot love the God he hasn't seen. So are you unloving, unkind? You whisper about each other. You're never quite willing to pay the cost of loving each other. Always criticizing. John would say you are not born of God. Yet. It's not too late, but you do not know God yet. Or, or do you know God's love? Do, do, you, do you love the cross? Are you beginning to love other Christians, even when it costs? Sure, you'll fail from time to time, but are the beginnings of costly love there? Well, if so, as John says, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to fear judgment. You don't need to be afraid of, of any kind of punishment. You don't need to be afraid of any kind of losing out. You don't need to be afraid that you know, if you open yourself up, somehow you're going to lose out. God has totally got your back. God absolutely loves you. You are loved with all the riches of heaven. You're not going to be forgotten. We know God's love pours out on us when we see Christ's blood pour out of him for us to bring us to himself. Friends, do you see this dynamic of how perfect love drives out fear? How knowing the love of God actually frees us to love each other? How his love actually turns us inside out? Do we, do we dig verse 19? We love because he first loved us. So, I don't know, are you like me? Do you, do you actually want to love? Do you actually want to be a more kind of outward person, serving and giving? Well, don't just wait till the feeling kind of wells up in your heart. Dig into God's love. Dig into the cross. Get his love, receive his love, and then pass it on. Uh, apparently, um, way back when, when, when uh, John, who wrote this, this is a apparently story, when he got really old and he couldn't walk, um, his disciples would carry him into church each week. And uh, they'd carry him up to the front and he'd sit there and he'd just say, little children love each other. Week after week after month after month. And eventually they got a bit sick of it and they said, why do, why do you always just say that? And he said, because it is the Lord's command. And if this only is done, it is enough. Brothers and sisters, may we love each other. For he first loved us. 
If this only is done, if we do nothing else, if this only is done, it is enough. Should I pray? Father, we want to begin by just standing in awe of your love, of the way you just pour forth in goodness towards us. And then we want to stop and say, towards us? Because, Father, we know in ourselves that we are not like you. So often we we do not love. We're not big-hearted and outward like you are. But we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus, for the way you gave yourself for us, for the love you have for us. Oh, Father, please so grip us with that love. Please so shake us by your love that you might just shake the fear right out of us. Free us to love each other. Free us to love like you have loved us. Make us, Lord, like you are in this world. Amen.